Oh. <laughs> <laughs> welcome back. You never do that. I normally do the but da but I just listen to it. Hello, hello. Welcome back. Here we are. Uh, oh, my all over oh my goodness absolute rookie lucky i'm here with the good quality audio um hope you guys are well hope you are going out for a little stroll maybe a run maybe a walk maybe a swim we don't discriminate i mean if you're listening to this while you swim i'm pretty impressed is that a thing underwater headphones um i wasn't sure if you wouldn't be there to chip in there or not. I, <laughs> I did say a lot of words didn't i <laughs> um it is a thing yes you okay, can get cool. underwater headphones great and no i don't have any great well i didn't back ask you. that but <laughs> <laughs> back to thank you for the report um all right so tell me <laughs> what's going on i feel like we are not in our usual rhythm how are you we're a little bit off kilter is that what they say well I think chaotic is the the word chaotic is the huge um how are we you know obviously (laughs) we are good (laughs) we're good life has been good life has been busy settling into Sydney I think I've just been a bit of a yes man as they say and just doing all the things and having so much fun and also just not getting enough sleep for too long so as of today as of tonight we're recording this on a Tuesday and tonight is the night I'm going to bed <laughs> early and I'm so excited. I've just been, you know, doing a little socialising and being in bed at like 11 o'clock almost every single night, which is just ridiculous. And I have been like sleeping in a little bit, but when I say sleeping in, like getting up between any time from 3.30 to 5.30. So like it's not like I've been sleeping in. Yeah, because... I'm just zinging with energy. Like, I'm ready you can't to go. say 3.30 is a sleep in. The 5.30s have been a sleep ins. But right. oh, there was one morning that I was just so excited to start the day that I just woke up at 3.30. And genuinely, I've been just like waiting for the point where I'm going to get tired because I'm like, I just still have so much energy. I'm still so excited. But I think it's finally hit me the last two days. I'm like, oh, like this morning my alarm went off. I was like, oh, you know, I could go back to sleep because normally I'm just ready to go. And it took me so long just to like put my shoes on to go to the gym today. Like normally that's like shoes on, get up, get going. I'm excited. But today, like I reckon a good 20 minutes of me, like getting my socks out, putting my shoes on. Can anyone else relate? Let me know, guys. Send me a message. You know, when you're just tired and you're just not feeling like it and you just take so long to do basically nothing. And that was me this morning. But the good news is Mm -hmm. I did my session at the gym, had a good session and felt really strong. And then, well, felt strong on some exercises and then just had a go run. Like just enjoyed the scenery, didn't look at my watch, just enjoyed the views. I did a little Malabar headland loop, which is sort of like becoming my Tuesday regular because from the gym, it's like nine and a half K. So it's just such a nice little loop. And it's like a little bit downhill on the way to the beach and then uphill over the headland and then down again, a little bit up, and then flat to finish off. So it's like a nice bit of everything, good ocean view, bit of hills, bit of stairs, bit of flat. Nice. So, yeah, feeling good. (laughs) (laughs) All right, my turn again. (laughs) (laughs) Any comments? Any feedback? Well, I didn't know when I was going to get to say my words, but. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) um, My comments and feedback are, yeah, get to bed earlier and stop waking up at 3.30. Okay. And also, great run loop sounds nice. And it is, yeah, also, it are they all the things? <laughs> Did I forget something? Um, so, one more thing to say before it's your turn. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
<laughs> you know what this reminds <laughs> no. me of? You know when you're in primary school and you all sit in a circle? I don't know if you guys did this, but we had like a talking stick. Oh. Had to like you, you could only talk if you had the whole, the talking stick. So I can't wait for you to pass it back to me. I've got the talking stick. So a few more notes to note, okay? <laughs> Deload week. <laughs> Deload week. And then back onto the volume. So I'm officially 100% in for the Washpool Ultra. I think on the podcast, you know how I was saying, like, I kind of forgotten about the race, blah, blah, blah. There was a little bit more to that story. I also wasn't entirely sure if I could actually go because I wasn't sure if I could get work off. So that's oh, why I kind I of forgot about it. Yeah, I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to go. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, because I hadn't actually, like, confirmed that with work. So it's only, like, officially official as of yesterday slash, mm. like, two or, like, a week and a half ago, I was like, okay, yes, I can definitely go. Hence why I was like, oh, shit, like, I'd kind of forgotten about the fact that I'm actually – gonna train because I kind of was thinking that I may not be able to go truthfully so anyway yeah oh yeah anyway look there's always so many things to catch up on but that is the update I'm definitely going and I'm so so I'm trying to focus on increasing my volume a little bit so 85k week last week which is sort of similar like I've been sitting between 70 and 80 and so that's obviously a little bit more but kept my easy running super, super, super easy, really trying to actually do my zone two training, which I feel like we speak about and I talk about all the time with people, but actually doing it is so hard. And I think even on my run this morning, like I'd been so good all last week running so slow. And then on my run this morning, I just like didn't really look at my watch and my run was that bit faster again, but that's okay. I'll let myself off just for one run, but I'll be back into zone two camp tomorrow and actually really enjoying it. Like feeling feeling like it's just it's quite nice like I'm starting to get into a bit of a rhythm with that really slow easy pace so all in all body's feeling really good I'm gonna um, go to turbo this week on Thursday which I'm excited about doing a bit of a session Thursday night and then I'll do that for another two weeks trying to get a nice long trail I'm gonna catch up with Chapo actually this Sunday do a run in the Shire and then one long trail run after that aiming for 35 ish k's and then start the tape up for Washpool. Wow, good. Okay. There's a plan. I like it. Yeah, I know. Like normally you yeah. are quite a planner and these last few weeks of this mystery of forgetting about Washpool slash like not really <laughs> thinking about it, not really talking about it, being yeah. confused. But I'm glad to hear there is something happening now. I mean, I feel like you would just be able to do it regardless, but it just mm. surprised me that it wasn't really on your mind. But now it's mm. on your mind and it's happening and I'm excited and I can't wait to cheer you across the finish line. Yeah, I hope you do cheer me. I'll Are be... you going before me or after me? I don't know what the schedule is, but surely I'll be done before you. I'm doing half I mean... the distance, so you'd hope. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if well, you're I'm still going, you yeah. well, surely I'm not starting hours later than you. No, but you might start like halfway through my event. No, and then I might be a race to the finish. Why would I do that? That would be so late. Anyway, I'll do a quick find out. Um, but yeah, is that enough for me? (laughs) Is that? I think that's enough. Um, oh, a few things actually. Oh, here we go. You said two things. Um, guys, come in and visit me at work. If anyone wants to come in, go for on the treadmill, have their (laughs) biomechanics assessed. That's not how you should sell it. Come and run on the treadmill. That is not appealing. Tell them the no. It's honestly we've had we've had I've had a few people come in already. A few listeners come in from the podcast to get their running assessed. And tell me about them. Oh well, I'm going to keep that confidential for my listeners' privacy. Um, But your listeners, 
my right. listeners. <laughs> but honestly, if you want to come in and have a look at your running, if you've got some niggles, it'd be a great, great way to sort of figure out where they're coming from, what's going on, and see if we can make a bit of a plan to get you ready to have a great year of training and running and strength and all the good things. So come in. I'm at Roselle and at Clavelli, and I'd love to see you. I also have a little offer for any of our listeners. So if you book online and put in the notes, Stronger Stride, you will get your first two sessions more than half price. They'll be $60. So no. normally initial consult is $149. But if you book in with Strong Stride, get that first session and second session for $60 each. What an offer. Can I take that up? I know. Yeah, I can say look in your face that you should. Yeah, I'm well, shocked. look, I don't you... know if the offer's for you because you're technically not a listener. So I we'll see, Sophie Lane. <laughs> I listen to my episodes, just not yours. Oh, wow. <laughs> anyway, um, if you wow, what an fixed, offer, guys! Take in. that up. Yeah. Sounds right at discount. I mean, at the checkout. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I want anyway. an offer. What can I offer, guys? If I you want to come and run you. with me? No, I mean for like my own services. Oh, okay. Um, come and run with me, and I'll give you a really good chat. <laughs> and um, sure. I'll, I'll coach you really well. Maybe I'll um yeah. I'll chat to the boss, see what we chat can come up with. Boss, see what you can muster up. Shout out to Claire if you're listening. Also, race yeah. start times, 50K, 7 a.m., 25K, 8 a.m. So you've got an hour to get okay, ahead of me. Head so, start. Okay, nice. Yeah. Um, I reckon I'll finish after you probably, I'm going to guess. I really hope so, or I'm really concerned about myself. Um, anyway, enough about you. All right, moving on. Back to me. Yes. Um, I'm great. Thank you for asking. Um, I am actually like my body is feeling like really good and I'm feeling like I'm just recovering well from everything. Why are you laughing? <laughs> Sorry. What? Go on. <laughs> oh, I can't even get my words out. I just interrupt somehow. Yeah. What is it? I'm smiling. I'm just enjoying the story. Oh, why are you laughing though? <laughs> keep going. Keep going. That's good. <laughs> you sure? Nothing to say? Yeah. Okay. So anyway, everything. I was just surprised because you. I was just surprised. Why? It's <laughs> my body is, and I just know you've had a lot on lately. Like your work schedule has been crazy. You're about to go away. You've just had so much, and I was like nervous. <laughs> you were gonna say that something was wrong, and <laughs> you said you're feeling good. So I'm just genuinely. This is the excitement. So is I'm, I'm excited that everything's good. Good. I'm excited that you're excited, and also I'm surprised as well. And this is why I'm announcing the fact that I'm feeling good because I don't think I should be, but I am. And mm. I did seventy something k's last week, and you yes, wouldn't even know it. Thing. You wouldn't even know it. <laughs> you asked my legs, they'd be like, "No, I'm not sure. We didn't do anything." Didn't do a 5K PB, didn't do a three-hour long run, didn't do any of the rest of it. Just um, feeling great. So I think my consistency this year and like post, I don't know why you're still laughing. <laughs> is it such a shock that I'm feeling good? <laughs> anyway, my consistency for the last few months I think is paying off and I'm feeling fit. Like I feel like put me on the start line and better watch out because I'm in my prime, I reckon. <laughs> I'm just remembering. I'm just recalling. Oh. So Sophie Lane's audio that I received on oh, yeah. Thursday night. I didn't listen to it. It was like midnight Thursday night. So we had server track night last Thursday. Oh. And I think Sophie and I still riding the high from Turbo Track Night. That's probably why I'm a bit delirious. Maybe. But your message at like midnight after you'd gone out on the town on a Thursday night. And you're like, 
gosh, I'm just feeling so good. Like, <laughs> I just feel so good after that session. Like, do an interval session tomorrow. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't think he did do an interval session on Friday. No. But I was just listening. I was like, you know, maybe I should do an interval session too. Well, so know. anyway, glad neither of us did. Glad we're still in the zone to band camp. That's right. Uh, band, band, band camp. Band, band work. Camp. camp. Um, <laughs> Yes, I agree. I think the the 5K just really did something to us and <laughs> I just feel good and I just want to run always. Um, so, yeah, that's the summary. Okay. Loving it. Can't wait to good. test ourselves at the Washpool Heritage Trails. Yes, that's it. And um, shout out to Turbo and Kings Cross Track Club oh, yeah. for organising and hosting a fantastic track night. We had so much bloody fun. And we're still in high and we just got to hang out with so many cool people and meet some, meet some new people, catch up with some old friends and just enjoy the whole race atmosphere. Enjoy watching some really speedy runners and just cheering out for our pals. So yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. Great summary. All right. We shall get on to today's topic. Let's take a breath, everyone. Take a breath. (laughs) We are moving on from the craziness of our chaotic lives too the wonderful, delightful Maddie Parsons, accredited practicing dietitian and nutritionist with a specialization in eating disorders and mental health recovery. So Lydia, tell us about a little bit of a brief, keep it brief overview of today's episode. We don't want to give it all away. Yes, it was it was wonderful having Maddie on. I think we have wanted to have someone on to talk about eating disorders from a dietitian and nutrition perspective for so long, because I think it is very common in the endurance space and anyone who's really sort of pushing and chasing some sort of athletic goals, because, you know, we always want to be better. And typically the exercises, what we are doing tends to attract really type A people. And I'm making a huge generalization, obviously, uh, but it's definitely something that Sophie and I have seen a lot of time in our own work and just in our own experience and across our peers is the struggle to, I guess, have a point with food and also fuel in a way that is conducive to performance and injury prevention. So it was really great to actually have an expert, which was Maddie, to talk about it. So we delved into eating disorders. We spoke about power to weight ratio and misconceptions around that. We spoke about structuring diet compared to intuitive eating, personality types around diet, so about whole foods, processed foods, eating before runs, during and after, and then some of the things to watch out for in terms of not eating enough as runner. And we spoke a little bit about um, bone density and bone health and um, the, yeah, the, I guess the dangers of just not eating enough. So it was a really, really wonderful episode. And I think there's so much to unpack. That I think we probably covered a lot of topics and I think really all of these topics could have been delved into in just one episode on their own. But hopefully this episode has just given you a bit of an overview and also just maybe raising some awareness about some things that are often not spoken about because I think these are so, so important. And I I really would encourage anyone, if you're struggling with eating, to reach out to someone like Maddie or even to the Butterfly Foundation, which is a support line, plus just a website which has got heaps of resources for people struggling with food and their relationship with food. So don't feel afraid to reach out for help because this is really serious and it can affect your life. So please reach out for help if you need it. We're going to put the links to all that below. Absolute delight to have on and just had so much knowledge to share with us and we were really stoked to have her. Anything else to add, Soph? All I'd like to say is you can find Maddie's 
information and educational posts at Maddie Parsons Nutrition on Instagram. And then she's got some links in her bio. You can follow with some free eBooks and all sorts of goodies and resources that you can check out. So please do so. Thank you so much for listening. Check out our links below if you need some Tailwind or Vivo Bare Feet, as Lydia would say. <laughs> I should say too, um, Maddie is based in the Shire, so mm. like South Sydney, but she does do telehealth. So mm. honestly, I really urge you to reach out to her and get some help with your nutrition because uh, what she does is absolutely incredible and her Instagram is amazing. Like I think if you have a bit of a scroll through there, you'll get a bit of an idea of the sort of people she works with and things that she does. She's got a blog. She's got so much. And she's also writing a book at the moment too. So, uh, well, not writing, but sorry, she has a book. So, yeah, check that out. But, yes, if you need some Vevo Befits, <laughs> you can check out our discount code. And Tailwind, check it all out. And, as always, thank you guys for listening. We love having you. We love the messages. And we are just stoked to get to share this podcast with you every week. Yeah, thank you, thank you. And, also, we are nearly at quite a milestone of listens actually Lydia I checked last night it was like we're we're not far off a big master wow. I don't know whether we say I always feel weird about like the whole number thing oh. like, I don't know whether we reveal the number it, maybe we're hyping it up to seem, seem yeah bigger. maybe people think it's like a million and we're like yeah Guys, it's like six people have listened yeah <laughs> Um, also, we can now see who subscribes to us on Spotify. So yes. we know who you are. I mean, we don't see a name, but we see a number. So if you can click that, that'd be nice. Anyway, enough from us. Enjoy the app. Let us know what you think. We will chat to you next Sunday. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Welcome back to the Strongest Drive podcast. We are very excited to have our special guest, Maddie Parsons, on, who is a accredited practicing dietitian and an accredited nutritionist and specializes in eating disorders and mental health recovery. Welcome Maddie to the show. Hey you guys, how are you going? So stoked to be here. We are so good. We are, we we're just talking about the weather actually, a bit crazy. So hopefully yeah. the listeners can't hear the thunder in the background, but we are Thanks good. We're us. excited to have you on and we're keen to dive into this topic. I think Probably before we get into it, we should give a bit of a, I guess, a trigger warning, I guess, if people have struggled with uh, mental health or eating disorders, we are going to be talking about that. So just so that you know, we'll have some resources linked below if people need anything. Um, before we get into anything too detailed, if you want to let us know a little bit about yourself, how you got into this work, why this work kind of, I guess, inspires you or why you're passionate about it um, and yeah, what you're up to at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. So as Lydia so kindly introduced me, I'm Maddie. I'm a dietitian and a nutritionist and also a very amateur but keen runner. Um, I work, yeah, it's something I've recently gotten into, probably a little bit more about that later, but I'm definitely not <laughs> um, excelling at it. Um, <laughs> Who is I, though, right? Like, you know, define <laughs> excelling. I think if you're out there enjoying yourself, that's that's success. So long as the passion's there, that's all that matters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I work with males and females, uh, probably from the ages at the moment of about 11 upwards across, you know, all different lifespans, um, life stages, I should say. Um, and yeah, I, my special interest is disordered eating, eating disorders, mental health, and also a bit of sports nutrition as well. Um, in terms of the why of sort of what, why I got into all of this, I definitely have a personal experience of not a fully diagnosed eating disorder, but definitely disordered eating way back when. And I think from that, I have experienced that, you know, personal toll, um, on, you know, your mental and your physical well-being that, you know, disordered eating can take. And I just want to help people experiencing the same thing, live a better life. 
Yeah, that's nice. I think it's great for you to be able to relate to clients and understand kind of what they're going through and have that experience to share. And you mentioned there kind of the fact that you had disordered eating rather than an eating disorder. That might be a good place for us to kick it off, kick it off and kind of explain, I guess, the differences between those two. And, and is it a bit of a spectrum where it can kind of cross over into that next stage and how does that all play out? Yeah, yeah. So for me personally, it wasn't something at the time anyone had really flagged in my support network around me that it was an eating disorder. I think looking back, if I actually went and, you know, got properly assessed, I would have probably been diagnosed. Um, when I was studying, I was had that, you know, big obsession with like, quote unquote, healthy eating using bunnies here very much so. And uh, looking back, obviously, that is orthorexia or a form of an eating disorder. But I think at the time, it wasn't really... Um, uh, to recognize for what it was. Um, in terms of the spectrum of eating, I kind of like to phrase it to my clients as like normal eating, disordered eating onto an eating disorder. Um, and I'm a big sucker for analogies because words are not my strong suit. So the analogy that I like to use is um, genetics, other mental health uh, com complexities or comorbidities and certain behavioral traits like addictive uh, tendencies, so on and so forth, load that gun and engaging in dieting or that intentional sort of pursuit of weight loss, pull the trigger for an eating disorder. Mm, yeah, that's a nice way to describe it. I think it, um, yeah, there's obviously so many different factors that go into these sort of things, but yeah, as you said, some people are, I guess, more susceptible to that and then getting getting yourself into that position or that environment can can bring these things on or, or I guess, speed them up. Um, so that's no, really interesting. And I think that separates those two quite clearly. Um, in terms of, I guess, for runners, this area, we kind of see it quite a lot or I guess a lot of the time it's quite hidden. Um, but I think most of us know that there are a lot of people that struggle with whether it's eating disorders or if it's over-exercising or anything along those lines. Do you think there's a particular reason that runners – tend to find themselves in these situations is there something about that addictive personality that that draws runners in to the sport and then obviously they've, they've got the diet side of it as well is that something that you notice as kind of a commonality between the two yeah look there's probably a multitude of reasons of why that disordered eating is pretty prevalent especially in runners as well um look personally I definitely can see in just the people that I run with or the people that I know that are runners, they tend to have a bit of a passive addictiveness or, you know, they were party people once back in the day and have sort of manifested those um, behavioral traits into something like running where, you know, they're feeling really good. They're jumping all in. They're quite, you know, um, addicted to it, I suppose you can say. In terms of the disordered eating, I suppose there is still that fallacy of like, you know, leaner or thinner equals faster, right? I'm sure that's something that you guys hear quite a lot. Yeah, definitely. So I definitely feel like sort of that stigma of, you know, thinner, thinner and leaner equals faster is very much still there these days. And I feel like that really, you know, plays in the back of people's minds. So, you know, if they can sort of, you know, cut down their body fat percentage, lose a certain amount of kilos, then they'll be able to run faster and, you know, achieve more in their running careers. Yeah, it's, um, oh, I mean, it makes me feel sad. Like even just talking about this, because I have stories from friends growing up that were told by coaches that, you know, like, don't worry, like, you know, you put on a few pounds over summer, but well, not pounds, who says pounds, <laughs> put on some weight over summer and like, you know, we're going to get you, or over winter, whatever it is, but like, you know, we're going to get you back and train hard and like, we'll get you lean for competition. And um, there's lots of stories that I've heard like that. And, you know, certain individuals that have ended up with eating disorders and it's so heartbreaking because I feel like it, 
is for the most part well-intentioned, right? This belief of the optimal power to weight ratio and being leaner and faster. And, you know, we look at the elite athletes on telly and they do tend to be really lean, particularly endurance runners and runners just in general. So I don't, I personally don't believe that the advice that's given is, um, with the intention to cause eating disorders, but it does really seem to be like this storm that just seems to encourage it. Right. And, and that's terrifying because like, how do we, um, like should, should people just not be giving advice at all to athletes physique? Like, unless they're a dietitian, like uh, how, how do we sort of combat this environment, which is encouraging potentially encouraging eating disorders, but also, I guess, you know, still have people seeking, you know, uh, performance goals or improvements in time, et cetera. Yeah. Look, obviously with the power to weight ratio concept, there's obviously heaps of evidence and science to support it. Right. But the way that I sort of like to think about it and frame it to my clients, if that loss of weight or if that pursuit of that, you know, ideal power to weight ratio comes at the cost of like muscle mass and increased risk of bone density loss, is it really worth it? Like, is that, it's sort of weighing out like what's going to be most beneficial here? Yeah. And, and obviously we know that, um, you know, there are certain signs, well, I mean, things like stress fractures are super common. And so if I've come across that clinically quite a bit and me personally, I've had a stress fracture and, you know, learning about the different conditions and, you know, when we're not getting enough energy, we just simply can't sustain our, our body, which is like frightening. Um, but, you know, how do people know that they're potentially at a risk of decreased bone density or all these scary things? Like things typically women, you know, loss of menstrual cycle might be a bit more obvious, but are there other things as well that we can sort of start to look out for um, as an individual or maybe for our peers in, in this running world that might be worth sort of flagging to seek some advice? Yeah, yeah. So obviously the menstrual cycle for a female is the number one sort of green flag that things are going okay or all that your bones are sort of, you know, as getting as good of a chance of being healthy as possible. In terms of other avenues to explore, number one, obviously, in terms of my scope would be fueling. Like, are you fueling properly? And good ways to assess that are how are your energy levels around training? How's your sleep? How's your recovery? Most importantly as well, like if all of those things are sort of ticked off, it's likely that you're fueling your body properly and therefore your bones are getting what they need to, you know, be optimal. Yeah. And if someone's starting to notice that these changes are happening, maybe they are feeling a little bit more tired than normal. Maybe they're a little bit more achy and sore and not recovering well. What do you suggest they do? Is the first step to see someone like yourself and and look at their diet? Is that normally kind of, I guess, um, something that's, I guess, more accessible to, to change early on? Or do people sort of find that sort of later throughout the process? Yeah, look, it's probably plugging my own services a bit here. Go for it. If not me, then obviously someone else in the field. I definitely feel like checking in with a dietitian or sports nutritionist or any other sort of practitioner in that area can be really beneficial just to get that sort of non-biased pair of eyes to run over what you're eating, get a bit of an idea about, you know, what your lifestyle looks like, what your training load is and everything, and then, you know, give that, um, that, give that opinion and that professional advice. Uh, I think something that I 
I wonder with runners is that because our our volumes of, of running and intensity, it does sort of fluctuate a lot. Like it's not like a team sport where you have your very standard on season and off season and you've got uh, often a clearer sort of map of the year. I think runners can get carried away quite easily. And it's hard to compare week to week because, you know, some runners are looking at their volume, some's looking at time on legs, and then sometimes sessions are a bit harder. And obviously things like stress are so variable week in and week out. It's hard to objectively account for that. Um, but do you think that, like, with that much variation, it sort of just means that it is harder to be able to, like, really truly be in tune with our body because, surely there's going to be a natural fluctuation of stiffness, tiredness, um, you know, poor recovery at times. Like surely that's just not going to, like like you said before, so, if, you know, if we feel a bit tired, then maybe we seek professional help. But, I mean, that, that's so vague, right? Like how do we actually know what is okay and what isn't okay? Like should a runner or someone who's doing a lot of exercise actually have to have some structure and have to go, all right, these are my five things I need to take off. And if I'm not feeling blah, 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 then I seek some help. Like, is that too rigid? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, that's a good point. And I guess with the sort of, you know, adequate fueling, that really comes down to, or with the sleep and everything that we were talking about before, that really comes down to obviously if your training load is quite consistent. But if you're, you know, in the lead up to an event or something, that obviously increases quite significantly. So in terms of sort of looking at if you're fueling properly or if you're eating enough, yeah, a little bit of rigidity doesn't, in my personal opinion, doesn't really go astray. And obviously a big part of how I like to work is that intuitive eating sort of non-diety approach. But with that being said, with someone with specific performance goals and specific sort of um, training requirements, a bit of planning is actually a really good way to, you know, pay honour and pay respect to your body and your body's needs. So does that mean anyone with a performance goal should have some structure around their diet then? Would that be your recommendation or is it uh, not as black and white as that? Yeah, look, it's it's one of those tricky ones, right? So I think everybody to an extent can benefit from that intuitive way of eating. But for, you know, people who exercise quite frequently, runners in particular, it is really hard to tap into your body's sort of uh, cues and demands, right? Because of a multitude of different reasons, which I'm happy to go into in a second. In terms of the structure around diet, I feel like there are pros and cons, right? So, you know, pros are, it can help with that undernourishment. It can help support that recovery process, especially when your appetite's impaired. In somebody maybe exhibiting those disordered eating behaviors, but they're still engaging in quite a bit of training, it can also ensure that they're getting that adequate nourishment when maybe they're not able to trust their bodies as much. But I guess on the other hand, um, you know, as I said before, those certain behavioral or genetic traits they can kind of latch onto that rigidity and make it, you know, pretty ramped up, right, where it gets into a bit of a habit. So I think at the end of the day, sort of, if you have a sit down and think about what you're eating, right, and you sort of know roughly without being too rigid, like, okay, I'm doing this much training to sort of meet those energy demands. I should be having roughly this many meals and snacks in the day and, you know, roughly this many hours apart you're more than able to sort of uh, cater and tailor that to whatever way you see fit, right? Because everybody eats in different ways. Mm, I guess it's a similar concept to to training structure. You know, some people thrive off just 
spontaneity and just doing what they feel and, and kind of like I guess it's that intuitive eating but for training and then some people need that structure and rigidity but then as you said it can go the other way where they're becoming too obsessive with maybe the data and the numbers and it might be in this case the calories on the macros or whatever they're tracking and that can kind of be all consuming and, and take over so you've mentioned genetics and I guess personality types as well we need to be looking at before I guess deciding which path is right for us and how do we figure that out is it a matter of trial and error should we try potentially a, a particularly a not quite rigid but a structured um, way of eating and then see if that works or how do you figure that out for yourself yeah look and again it's sort of it's one of those tricky ones right it's not a one-size-fits-all sort of answer in my personal and professional opinion, I suppose, that sounds so wanky, <laughs> <laughs> I'd probably suggest starting somewhere in the middle. Like don't go mm. too cruisy or flexible, but obviously don't go too rigid either. Like try and have some sort of loose plan, see how you go and how you adapt to that. If you find like you're really struggling to stick to it, you're forgetting to eat or, you know, your day gets in the way, maybe, yeah, maybe you would benefit from something a little bit more rigid, obviously not to the extent of calorie counting or whatever but you know these are my meals these are my snacks that I'm having today on the other hand if you find that you don't really need prompting to eat if you're just already sort of in tune with that biological clock of you know meals and snack times maybe you can sort of loosen the reins so to speak mm, I think something that I've I mean gosh there's so, so much to this um but something that I've often heard other runners talk about is not feeling that hungry after they do sort of high intensity workouts. And so them sort of saying, oh, I have to remember to have something to eat because I just don't always feel like it. So it's when I have a smoothie or something that's a bit um, just, I guess, easier to consume, more calorie dense. And, and I know that's something I relate to as well. Like often after I've done a big workout or a big run, like the absolute last thing I feel like is eating and I'd happily come home and like do all my activities. Like if it's a weekend, I've definitely come home and it's been like three hours and I've got, oh my goodness, I haven't even eaten. And then I'll eat like a horse, like for my, my breakfast, my lunch and my dinner will just be these huge meals because I just didn't eat for like hours. Um, like is some of that just like, our habits of what we get used to or is that really a real thing that like after high intensity workouts we just don't feel like eating and if that's the case is that something we need to be really sort of like strict and diligent with like okay I know every Saturday morning when I do my hard session I'm not hungry but I still need to fuel or is it okay to go oh well I just will wait an hour like what are your thoughts around that? Because I mean, the sort of, oh, well, I'll wait for an hour sort of sounds more intuitive because like, well, I'm not hungry. I don't want to stuff my face with the meal and I'll enjoy it more when I, um, you know, like, what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, look, that's a really good point. And honestly, everybody's different, right? Like I have so many friends that the thought of, you know, going down and sitting to a, with a big meal after a big session is so ideal to them. But I'm the same for me. The thought of food after a session or a run is just like, oh, no, not happening. <laughs> like that sounds gross. Uh, I guess there's a few reasons why that hunger can be really ramped down, right? So if we look at the training intensity or the length of training, that obviously is expending quite a bit of energy. So that's going to ramp down. Um, that's going to obviously dysregulate your hunger and fullness cues and all of that sort of stuff. But I guess at a more of a, a physiological sort of level, your body's investing more energy and putting more blood flow to your muscles or the moving parts of your body through the session, right? And spending less energy in digestion and metabolism of food. So that's really when you see that appetite get quite downregulated. 
I think more to that as well, like your hunger hormone ghrelin is suppressed during activity, particularly that high intensity or endurance activity. And I almost forgot the name there, peptide YY, which is another thing that's released in the body, is um, a peptide that increases satiety and that gets, you know, pretty ramped up uh, around exercise as well. So I guess that's why runners typically or don't eat enough around, you know, their high training loads or events and so, so on and so forth. I guess with the intuitive eating stuff, right, I definitely think everyone benefits from it. But as I said before, around trainings or around events, that's probably when a little bit of planning never goes astray, right? So if you have specific performance goals or if you obviously just, you know, don't want to be super sore and fatigued after and you want to, you know, really maximize your recovery, yeah, eating within that first one hour, one to two hours at most is obviously a really good idea. And that's where liquid energy can be an absolute godsend because the thought of a big meal is just, yeah, not not on for some people. Mm, yeah, that the liquid energy actually brings us to a good point because I think um, runners struggle maybe to get in enough volume of food and to actually physically eat lots of things. So smoothies and things are a great idea. But what about, I guess, the other end of the spectrum with really highly processed foods like gels and, and different, um, I guess, forms of energy that aren't our traditional sort of whole foods I think some runners especially those who have a it's hard you can't really say healthy diet but people that enjoy whole foods and have um, I guess more of a plant-based diet or they try and stay away from from junk foods and processed foods day to day how how do you suggest they go about getting in more calories and more more nutrition if they I guess have that barrier or the resistance against some of these more highly processed foods are are the highly processed foods okay to have um, should they be having it just to get to allow those calories and nutrition nutrients to come in Um, or can they get that solely through their whole foods and maybe making their own gels and doing things like that? What do you think about that kind of the battle between the two? Yeah, look, that's a great question. And obviously I can't speak on behalf of everyone everywhere. I don't know everyone's, you know, certain food preferences and um, dietary patterns that they sort of like to adhere to. I guess first and foremost, I'd probably, if someone was feeling really resistant to more of those processed foods, I'd probably, I guess, explore why that is. Is it a personal preference or is it, I guess, a bit of fear and anxiety around, you know, processed, uh, refined, sugary foods, right? Mm. Um, my philosophy that I try to sort of encourage in my clients is eating, you know, a wide variety of foods. So foods for quote unquote health. So those, you know, unprocessed whole foods, which obviously are so good for your health for many, many, many reasons. But then on the other hand, eating, you know, those soul foods, as I like to call them. So your chalky, your biscuits, your pizza, your burgers, that sort of stuff. And then I guess in the context of sport, utilizing those foods that are going to give your body that really quick hit of energy to support your performance. So with those natural foods, they are often higher in fiber because they're unprocessed. They come with a lot of different vitamins and minerals, probably more so than the processed ones. Yes, absolutely. But if we're looking at, at, at it in the context of sport and exercise, that can also cause quite a lot of tummy upset and not necessarily give your body that quick hit of energy that it needs um, around performance, right? So I guess that's where gels, lollies, drinks, and more of those processed sugary foods can be really, really beneficial to utilize, especially in endurance running or other forms of like high intensity exercise too. Yeah, I mean, like just exactly what you said about tummy upsets and 
and issues with fiber that's something I've had a lot of personal experience and Soph has witnessed that so many times um I think myself I have I guess always had health as a value and it's something that I you know in my day to day I seek these sort of health conscious activities and part of that is eating a mostly whole food diet and there was definitely a period of my life where it was so much whole food like I just didn't even think about it, but I was eating like the legume pasta and then legumes on my legume pasta. And then like my snacks would be like hummus and carrots and like, just, I mean, I really enjoy that food and it's delicious and tasty, but it's just really struggling with my digestion. And like on my long runs, I had to be so like, Oh, I need to make sure like I've digested my food. And I I really found it so hard. And the last um, like three to four years, I've really made a conscious effort to reduce my fiber intake and oh my goodness it's so much easier to run (laughs) like my tummy just doesn't get upset so much like I'll have gels in a run I've never had an issue with gels and I mean obviously that's only my personal experience but I I've just noticed such a huge difference and I often hear people talking about these sort of highly processed highly palatable calorie dense foods like the gels and like those bars and stuff And, and I hear people saying things like no like it's just not very natural it's artificial and like it's just sugar and that just seems crazy to me because of course it's sugar like our body needs carbohydrates to to fuel um but like what what are your advice to those people like for the people that you know middle of the trail run they pull out a bag of dates or an avocado like I've literally seen people pull out avocados and no yeah like (laughs) a bag of like yeah like dried fruit like dates in particular Mm. peanut butter um and like whole foods, like salady, sandwichy things. And like, I know like when we're talking about like the absolute ultra sort of long, long distance stuff, people do tend to have more like mealy type things, but like mm. surely an avocado on a date, like surely the fiber content content in that. I mean, obviously I'm not a dietitian, so I, I really just don't know. And I don't want to speak in something that I just, I don't really know, but surely that's just almost, um, like following a weird obsessive rule for just like no real benefit like what's the point of that and what's your advice to to people who've experienced that or trialed that or like what are your thoughts yeah yeah well like look obviously in the context of like endurance sports or when you really need that prompt hit quick uh quick hit of energy there um less fiber is better so dried fruit obviously has less fiber than fresh fruit which is a really good obviously thing to have I guess probably about an hour out of exercise, but if we're looking at like intra-fueling, so while you're running and whipping something out, the less fiber, the better, right? So that's where gels can be, in my opinion, better than something like the dried fruit or I don't know about the avocado and the sandwich and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so like the more fiber that something has, right, the longer it's going to take to digest. Doesn't mean that it's a bad thing, but if you're really needing that quick hit of energy, like right now, gels, lollies, uh, drinks like Powerade and stuff are obviously far better for your body right in that moment than something like dried fruit, dates, etc. Mm. If there are like people listening that just don't like gels, they've tried it, doesn't work for them, they don't like those options, are there... I guess, real food alternatives. Like I know some people use sort of like baby food food purees and different things like that. Are there other options that you could suggest? Yeah, baby food purees are great. Even like glucose mouth rinses to sort of trick the body mm. into thinking that it's oh, getting energy. 
Um, gels are very tricky, right? Like it's definitely not something that everybody gels with, mind the pun there. Um, I definitely have had personal experience and I've had a few clients that I've recommended to try some of the more like natural gels. So mm-hmm. things that are made uh, from memory, they're with like a fruit extract and a rice extract. So they're not got all the, you know, chemicals and preservatives as the other ones. And they generally seem to be pretty well tolerated, probably more so than the other sort of gels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how much does that matter though? Yeah. Like, you know, like when you're sort of having it, I don't know, like maybe once every couple of months for a race, like do, do we need to be concerned about preservatives in in a gel when it's so infrequent? Because obviously sort of mainstream diet culture and healthy eating principles encourages whole foods and encourages low GI and things with slow release of energy. Um, But is looking through that lens sort of unhelpful for someone who, you know, is trying to fuel for a run? You know, like when do we sort of like go, okay, we're not looking at this as like our day-to-day foods. We're looking at this as like for a race or for, you know, an optimal training program. What are your thoughts? Yeah, look, obviously whole foods, low GI foods, lean proteins, yada, 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 are excellent for the body. I'm not at all, you know, disregarding or dismissing that. But the the focus needs to change when it's around sport because they're not necessarily in the short term or in the, you know, uh, hours leading up to a race or an event going to prime your body with the quick hit of energy that it needs. So in terms of worrying about preservatives and things, obviously very much up to the individual person and sort of their, I guess, morals and values around food and what they are consuming. But for the general person that's just like, oh, I'm so confused, there's so much information out there, I don't know what to believe anymore. If you don't have an intolerance to certain preservatives, there's preservatives in pretty much everything these days. So if that's going to benefit your performance, benefit, you know, you in the very uh, near and present future or present moment, I should say, there's absolutely nothing wrong with utilizing those sorts of foods or supplements. And then what are the dangers? Because obviously, you know, you were talking as well about like, you know, we need that quick hit of energy. We need these things. What if someone's, you know, not too fast about ultimate performance? They're like, look, just need to sort of get by, enjoy my running. I don't care too much. I don't have to be the best runner. Um, And they're still sort of, you know, wanting to um, seek those sort of more whole food things. Um, What are the sort of dangers, I guess, in, you know, no, I'm not going to worry about the smoothie post run. I'm not going to worry about having the gels like I'm just going to do my own thing go for my run and then and just eat my normal food are there I mean obviously we've spoken about just sort of eating but what are the real dangers and we've mentioned menstrual cycle and bone density what other dangers are there of just not um not considering all these things as a runner or someone with large volumes of exercise Yeah. So if you're obviously engaging in that movement quite frequently and your body's under quite a bit of stress and you're not really, I guess, considering how you're either fueling or refueling in and around that, it's putting your body under like stress of, you know, menstrual loss for females, bone density loss, reds for females as well, which I guess kind of falls under that umbrella, right? But I guess more generally as well, like low energy availability, which is going to impact, if not um, at a sort of biological or a physiological level, just going to impact, you know, your day-to-day mood, energy levels, and just your general well-being. Mm, Yeah, I think there's some good 
um, I guess not quite warning signs, but but risks that are involved with it. So a good reminder for people to to have a bit of a think about their, I guess, post post running nutrition and also the the fiber tips beforehand, really helpful. I think it would be useful as well to kind of look at the other end as well. So we've spoken a lot about, I guess, the dangers of not eating enough. Um, what about eating too much? So if we talk a little bit about binge eating um, versus overeating, what's the difference there? And, and do you see this uh, being common in runners? I think there's often the narrative of sort of, you know, earning your meal or earning the treat and oh, I've burnt this many calories in this run. So now I can indulge in this food. Do you see that as quite a common, common narrative? Yeah. Yeah. So I guess going back to sort of the first thing, the difference between overeating and binge eating very, very generally, mm-hmm. um, overeating is something that we all do from time to time, right? Like it's an inherent part of being human think birthday parties, you know, dinners with friends, Christmas day, that sort of stuff. The difference between overeating and binge eating is that overeating typically isn't associated with those negative feelings. And it's pretty situational. Like, as I said before, those social outings or those holidays or parties or whatever, and it's it's not super frequent. Whereas on the other hand, binge eating is that frequent recurrent episodes of, you know, eating food past that point of physical, you know, fullness to that point of discomfort, feeling out of control, feeling really guilty and shameful about the whole thing as well. Yeah. Um, in terms of, I guess, what I've tend to have noticed in running, to be completely honest, it's not something that I've actually really encountered in runners per se, but prior to sort of doing what I do now, I did actually work in the gym industry for about five years off the top of my head. And that mindset of like earning your meal is very much uh, normalized in that in in that industry or in that culture, right? So someone, you know, eats super clean and shreds and is in, you know, this crazy calorie deficit Monday to Friday. But then on the weekend, it's, you know, hell for leather, like, you know, go for gold, eat as much as you possibly can. And it's just like really a planned binge if you look at it quite objectively. It's quite awful. Because, I mean, I've worked in the fitness industry for the last six years as well. And it's you see so much of it and I think you know from that experience I've ended up with lots of friends who have really struggled with this and it just seems to be such a common thing like being really clean and then going all out on the weekend and I think there there's this real narrative around running in particular about you know you run so you can eat whatever and it's just all the time it's said and I know Sophie and I have had this conversation about like just not saying it, but, you know, you hear things like, oh, like, well, and I mean, you said it before, Sophie, but like, oh, well, now I can have, I can have my ice cream or I'll hurt my potatoes or hurt my pasta. And mm. it's like, I'm a runner, so I can have my pasta before. And, you know, it's the same thing in, in gym language, but, you know, runners, it has this real thing of like running seems to be a real weight loss activity. And mm. there's been so many times where I've had people make comments to me about like, Oh, like, you know, you can have your pasta or, or like if I'm eating something, they're like, oh, like, you know, you've been for your run. And I'm like, no, like this has got absolutely nothing to do with me running. And I just, I hate that that is so normalized. Uh, how, how can we, um, how can we avoid this? And how can we sort of encourage more, I guess, positive language or should it not be positive? So just be neutral. Should we just stop commenting on people's food and people's bodies? Have you got a perspective on this? Yeah, absolutely. And look, it is both, I guess, through my experience with working with clients, but also personally as well. 
comments towards somebody's eating patterns or how they look right, it sort of reaffirms or re-solidifies that message in that person that what they're doing is right. And if anything wavers from either how they're eating or, you know, how they look, that that's not going to be socially acceptable. And that often is prioritized over, you know, the more important qualities of a person, right? Like their energy and their personality and how they're showing up into, you know, different social settings and all of that wonderful stuff. Um, I guess, you know, in terms of bodies as well, bodies change. Like just because a runner might be quite quite lean and yeah, maybe they are able to eat, you know, a little bit more than, you know, they're a non-running friend, something like that. Um that's not going to last forever. Bodies change. Our bodies change, you know, all the time, especially as we get older. So with that, and I've especially found this with sort of my older clients as well, they've held on to that narrative about their body or their body story from 20 years ago that, you know, people used to say about them. And that brings with it a lot of grief and a lot of distress because naturally they don't look the same way as they did 20 years ago now. So yeah, commenting on people's eating patterns and bodies as you can probably tell is something that I'm so, so, so against. Yeah, it's frustrating and it's so common, especially I think similar to before talking about, you know, people have good intentions and those coaches who are commenting on their athletes' weight, like it's because they want a performance outcome. It's for a good reason, but the way that it come across that comes across isn't always like that. And I think it's so common for runners to comment on other runners how they're looking and oh you run so well like you're looking really good or you're looking really fit I think looking fit is one that I think people can almost think they can get away with because you know fitness might not be the visual so it kind of it sounds okay but it still has Mm. those same connotations and it's really dangerous isn't it as you said if people are hearing that and getting that positive reinforcement like oh wow I must be looking good like I'll keep doing what I'm doing it's kind of a downward spiral I guess sometimes yeah. And look, I'm not going to deny the fact everybody likes receiving compliments, <laughs> right? Like myself included. But the more that we sort of hold on to that idea of what we should look like or what we should eat like, it can get pretty tricky. Um, I guess as well in terms of sort of shifting that perspective from, you know, I ran today so I can eat X, Y, Z. It can be really, really powerful. It can be really, really empowering, I should say, to shift the perspective to, this food is going to make me feel good. It's going to, you know, re-energize me or energize me for my day or my run. It doesn't even have to be around sport. It's just this food is energy. This food tastes good. You know, I'm with my friends or my family. I'm enjoying this food. Yeah, it might not be the most nutritious food, but damn, it tastes good. And that's all that matters right now. Yeah, I think that's a really lovely way of of looking at it is thinking about what food can do for us and how it can make us feel and how great we're going to feel at training the next day and how enjoyable it is to eat that cake with your with your loved ones. And yeah, you might be a bit bloated, but you're going to love it and enjoy it because it's an enriching part of being human. Um, So, yeah, I think think that's a really lovely way. Uh, What about fear foods and things that people are scared of? Because I know, again, we're sort of like delving back into – that sort of more restrictive mindset, but, you know, what if someone's got something that, you know, they've had a bad experience with, or they're just worried, you know, we, we've spoken about that binging and restricting cycle. If someone's got this food that they're, they're quite scared of and they'd rather just like eliminate it. And, you know, I'm trying to think what that might be for a runner. I mean, I guess it's probably quite individual, but maybe it's like something that's processed. I'm not sure. Um, is that okay for someone to eliminate a food or a food group or a type of food 
Like, is that just, you know, part of life? Like sometimes we just don't eat stuff or is that a bit of a red flag? And maybe if we see one of our running friends doing this, we should be concerned or pointing them in the direction of some professional advice. Yeah, look, it really comes down to, again, I guess someone's, you know, values and morals around food or, you know, more so if they have any allergies or intolerances. But, you know, if none of that sort of is applicable and they're really just avoiding the food because they experience like guilt, shame or anxiety around certain foods or food groups, it's a huge red flag. So I guess it makes sense, right? Like if you feel out of control around a food, let's just get it out of the picture, out of sight, out of mind, right? that can often cause a lot more problems than it solves. So in the short term, it's a really good strategy, right? And it makes sense. But in the long term, it really, really precipitates that all or nothing thinking or that black and white view on food. And inevitably when that food's, you know, back around, I'm just going to use the example of like chocolate, right? So inevitably someone's going to come across chocolate at some point in their life. And when that happens, it's sort of like a what the hell effect uh, comes into play. It's like, oh, bugger it. Like I might as well eat as much as I possibly can of this food right now because I'm not normally, you know, I don't normally allow myself to have it. And that's when binging really comes into play. Mm. You hear that so often though, don't you? Like often people talk about like, oh, I don't buy sort of caramel chocolate because I'll eat the whole block. And it's like such a sort of like laughed about thing. It's like, oh yeah, don't leave me around that block of chocolate. (laughs) And like, Part of me is like, oh, that's really nice that we can just laugh about the fact that like when there's something good, you just want to eat all of it. And then the other part of me wonders like, oh, shit, like what is this world that we live in that we like can't have things around us? And I mean, is that just what humans are like? Are we just designed? Because I mean, obviously, you know, um, like we so we store fat so easily and part of that is to protect us from famine. Um, but we also have this world which is like filled with temptations. And, you know, do you think there's ever a time when it's okay to just say like, no, like I just won't have that in the house because I don't want to have that temptation or, you know, should we just always be trying to encourage exposure and sort of acceptance and and balance, you know, moderation, which, you know, typically is not a runner's strong suit, right? Yeah, look, it really comes down to that fact that unfortunately most of our society at the moment really does sit in that disordered eating category because it is so normalised, like diet culture and the influence of the dieting industry where that that black and white view or that all or nothing sort of mindset around food is is normalised and it's sort of Mm -hmm. widely accepted. It really comes down to, I suppose, again, that personal preference. I don't want to really, you know, tell people what they should and shouldn't be doing. But the question that I often pose, because that is something that is often really laughed about with my clients, they're like, oh, I cannot by any means have Chucky or, you know, the Tim Tams in the house because then they're just all gone. (laughs) I'm like, I pose the question, but how nice would it feel to, you know, have a couple of Tim Tams if and when you felt like it and not let it be this all-consuming thing, like just eat it, enjoy it, move on. And that's when they're often like, oh, like I can't really imagine that. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness. And, like, honestly, like, yeah, Tim Tams are great. Like (laughs) wanting to have more is, like, just seems so normal and natural. Mm. As you said, it's so normalised and yeah, I think that's such a great question. And hopefully our listeners can ask themselves that as well, because there's probably lots of things like that. And I I would draw the same parallel with, with just like running volume. Like it often seems to be such a slippery slope. Like you see runners like, you know, doing 10Ks and then 15 and then 20 and then 30, like, oh yeah, we're training for a marathon, then an ultra. And it's like, continue, continue, continue. And it just seems to be this like 
inability to like find this balance and I think it's just encouraging our society in like every single aspect like particularly gym culture it's like you know go hard or go home and that literally is a mentality like let's get you to the point where you're like hurting and you need to vomit and like all these things and somewhere in the middle is like not celebrated and I I feel like at least from my perspective I just think that needs to be a thing like just be in the middle, like just being moderate, like just balancing, like just caring a little bit less and just and finding some happy medium. But it, it just seems to, to almost not exist or at least not be celebrated. And it's hard to even know like where we start in, in this world. Um, yeah. It's so, it's so hard. Yeah, absolutely. I can definitely off the top of my head think of a few friends recently that I run with that have injured themselves and they go to their, you know, chiro or physio or sports doctor or whatever. And they all say the same thing. They all say it's because you're smashing yourself and Mm. you're doing race pace every single run. And that's just not sustainable. And look, Mm. admittedly, that's something I've had to wrap my head around more recently and get a bit more comfortable with just doing okay and just being comfortable in that middle area. More so, I guess, personally to bring my heart rate down more than anything. (laughs) But yeah, it's okay to just, you know, just get by or just, you know, do the run and not necessarily be the fastest or train the hardest. Mm. And how do we do that with our eating? So intuitive eating, how does that practically look? Obviously, people have cravings and they like particular foods. So are they meant to be listening to those cravings? Are they just going off what they feel like? How do you go from, you know, maybe someone who is overeating or binge eating or someone who's not eating enough? And then how do you find that kind of moderate middle balance? Yeah, look, it really depends on where the person's at in their relationship with food or that journey, cheesy but true. Um, If they really are struggling with that interceptive awareness, so if they're really struggling with recognising their hunger and fullness cues, by starting off by sort of following a bit more of a mechanical structure of eating can be really beneficial. But I think for sort of someone that is aware of their hunger and fullness cues and just more broadly sort of wants to improve their relationship with food, intuitive eating is so, so, so amazing. And it's something that I'll, you know, defend and advocate for to the cows come home because it's so good for so many different reasons. Like obviously, yeah, your relationship with food and your mental well-being, but also biologically and physically too. There's so much evidence that's been emerging of late of how it can be really beneficial for those markers. Um, in terms of, I guess, one of the biggest misconceptions that I hear about intuitive eating is that it means eating whatever, whenever, but that's definitely not the case. So as we were sort of talking about earlier, it can involve, or it should involve, I should say, you know, paying respect and paying homage to your body, like knowing what's going to make your body feel good physically, but also eating the foods that taste good and, you know, tick off that sort of mental satisfaction as well. So when cravings come into play, yeah, absolutely. Honoring them, eating them, because likely the more that you hold off from them or the more that, you know, keep the chocolate out of the house or keep the Tim Tans out of the house, it does promote that all or nothing thinking. And it does increase the likelihood of being um, kind of stuck in that binge restrict cycle. Yeah, gosh. I mean, it's definitely something that seems quite vague. Like when I think people say, I do intuitive eating. Like the, there's certain groups that like I do intuitive eating or I'm an intuitive eater. And those people just like wouldn't have a label. Um, and so, and you've also sort of expressed it. it's not just eating absolutely whatever you want. Um, what would be some examples of intuitive eating? Like, is it as soon as you feel hungry, you eat, or is it like 
following a structure? Is it, I feel like something salty, so I'm going to make something salty. Um, what sort of basic principles uh, constitute an intuitive eating approach? Yeah, look, there are 10 principles with, with intuitive eating as um, sort of uh, laid out, I suppose you can say, by the founders. But in a very, very general sense, it's eating when you're hungry, stopping when you're full, acknowledging those cravings, giving yourself that sort of unconditional permission to eat. But on the other hand as well, let's say you work crazy, crazy hours, you work super busy, you know you're not going to be able to acknowledge your hunger when it pops up planning never goes astray because that's a form of paying respect to your body and giving it what it needs. I hope that answered the question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think obviously for every person, their schedule is going to be different. So, you know, there, there obviously isn't like, you know, you're not going to be able to prescribe a diet here on this podcast. I, I think that's something that uh, that type of personality just has to sort of swallow and go, okay, cool. Like there isn't a, a one size fits all. It, it just isn't like that. I have to consider my day to day, what I'm doing, what my goals are um, and, and all those things. And then, and sort of put it into place and I guess reach out if they actually need some more, I guess, individualized help. Um, when you talk about honoring cravings, um, if someone notices at three o'clock in the afternoon, that classic time, they feel like something sweet, what should they do? Okay. Like, is this when they should look at what they've eaten throughout the day and go on, oh, well, like I didn't have a big brekkie. So of course I'm craving something sweet. Or is it um, that they need to have a big breakfast the next day? Or does it mean that, you know, they're a little bit tired or are they not drinking enough water? Like, should we be analyzing these things or should they just pop down to the shop and grab an ice cream? Yeah, look, it's so, so, so many different possibilities for that, you know, stock standard 3 p.m. sweet craving. Um, I guess it it really comes down to, I suppose, there's a difference between craving something sweet and sort of having this bottomless pit of an appetite for sweet foods, right? So that's when you're absolutely checking in and reflecting on how much you've eaten throughout the day. More specifically, if you've been giving yourself carbs throughout the day, that's something I always see. People are like, oh, but I'm eating. I'm like, yeah, but you're not eating carbs. Mm. They're like, oh, that's why. Um, checking in on, yeah, how tired you are, how much water you've had, if you're stressed or feeling any other sort of negative emotion that could be increasing the likelihood that you're like, oh, I just need to sort of soothe these emotions with, you know, this certain food. Checking in on all of those things, absolutely. There's nothing wrong with emotional eating, I guess, on that point as well. Um, but yeah, there are really good markers of, you know, if you're really experiencing those sweet cravings day in, day out, and they're quite ravenous they're really good things to check in on. Um, but if after you've sort of reflected on all of that and you actually just really do feel like an ice cream of an afternoon, go and have it. <laughs> yeah. And what about, um, so that's 3 p.m. What about if we're going for an early morning run? Um, should we be eating before the run? Are there dangers to going out for a two, three, four hour run and not having anything prior? I mean, assuming people are taking gels and things during the race or the run, um, should we be getting up two hours early to have a breakfast or does it not matter too much? Really depends on the individual, their tolerance to food, their sort of preference and how they like to train, like on a full or an empty stomach. And I guess as well, if they have any sort of goals, if they're happy just to sort of trot along for those couple of hours or if they really want to, you know, push hard and fast and really um, excel in their performance. I think for anyone, whether or not you have something in the early morning, having something really significant and, you know, quite 
quite large or quite adequate in carbs the night before can be really beneficial and should be an you know an absolute must if I'm going to be you know super stern <laughs> um in terms of what you have in the morning yeah it's really up to you some people I know love going uh, on an empty stomach so long as they're obviously having those gels and intra fuel um intra training fuel I should say um other people like having something before sort of priming their body priming their stomach with something to support their performance yeah, and so does that mean that if they're not going to be feeling in the activity let's say it's a three-hour bout of exercise and it's steady state okay let, let's let's actually give an example because I feel like I've done a lot of it depends it's a Sunday morning three-hour long run all easy pace, no efforts, and they're not planning on taking any food because they're lazy um, or they can't be bothered. That's me. I'm going to put my hand up. I'm like, I don't want to take my pack. Like, you know, I'll be fine. <laughs> Does that runner need to then consume before? Can they can just have something straight after and be fine? Is it okay once a month to do that, once every six weeks and just like try not to do it too frequently? Or are they... Um, I guess, is that a cost to their health potentially? Yeah. So the recommendations off the top of my head is for any exercise longer than 90 minutes, you need to be having something. If you don't have access to it or if you don't really feel like carrying your pack because we've all been there, um, <laughs> absolutely making sure you're having something pretty decent before. If it's really infrequent, like if it's, you know, once a month or once every couple of months, probably not as detrimental to your health if, you, if you're doing it, you know, week in, week out. Yeah, I think, that, I think that's really good advice because I think, you know, we do like numbers as runners and, you know, having a bit of a time frame of like how long, and obviously it is going to depend of, you know, each individual, we all have different weights and heights and training intensities and heart rate zones, blah, blah, blah. Um, what if we are sort of on that cusp of 19 minutes? Um, is that okay? Do you think to get away with out bringing some feeling prior and without eating prior as well? Really depends on how you're feeling. Like, let's say, uh, a certain person doesn't really want to bring their pack or doesn't want to bring food so they give it a go and after 90 minutes or after you know an hour or two they're really bombing out they're really feeling really fatigued and just uh, you know really hurting through the run then absolutely they're going to benefit from some nutrition throughout um if they're cruising if they're able to get through like two or three hours you know no dramas at all maybe they're just lucky maybe they've you know unintentionally adequately fueled before and knowing that they can fuel after but it really depends on the person it's something that's quite hard to sort of give a blanket answer to okay and then when it comes to sort of um high calorie foods or like you know um, on, on the opposite spectrum of that, we've got like a large volume sort of low calorie density type foods. And, you know, within diet culture, there's often this promotion and something that I've seen a lot in gym culture is, you know, eating a whole lot of like high volume food that's low calorie because like people on diets are like, they're trying to eat healthy and they're trying to like gain this sense of fullness, but also like not eat too much. So they're eating like heaps of greens and, um, you know, like those like, noodly things that are made of um, oh, like the cognac yeah <laughs> yeah like uh, yeah like gosh like those sorts of diet foods and like the sugar-free this and sugar-free that which is just like I don't know what all those things are made out of but you know big volume of food but not much density are those things that you like might discourage someone who's 
um, expending a lot of energy, you know, whether it's an endurance run or, or whatever sport, um, or are they still allowed to have them at times? Because obviously something like that might disrupt their sort of normal hunger cues because they're obviously just eating big volume of food, but not really getting much nutrition. Uh, are they okay in certain contexts or recommended for certain people? And as a runner, would you steer, steer clear of those sorts of foods? Yeah, look, in and around training, I'd probably recommend to steer clear of those sorts of foods. Reason being, if we look at the sugar-free stuff or at the sort of high fiber volume stuff, they all can be quite irritating to the gut. So whether it's the fiber or, you know, the artificial sweeteners, that's obviously not brewing up a perfect storm for your stomach when you're exercising. Um, it can obviously increase that feeling of fullness, but not necessarily deliver that energy to your body that it needs. So in and around training, I'd probably recommend steering clear if, you know, you're not training and you're sort of just going about your general day. If you really like those foods, go for it. But they're not of any benefit around training, I don't think personally. Yeah, cool. I think that's um, helpful to know. I think it's, there's just so many, I guess, different opinions out there. So it's nice to have some kind of clear direction and and thoughts. And I guess, again, if people need more individual help, then please reach out to, to yourself, Maddie. Um, Lydia, have you got anything else you wanted to chat about? Um, yeah, just one more question. Um, for like, I mean, we've covered so much today and I think probably the overarching theme is that like, it is important to seek help from an expert if um, you have any concerns or questions or any issues at all in this area because it is so complex and an individualised approach seems to just absolutely be the most important thing because there's just so many factors to consider and I really just don't believe that someone without your experience, Maddie, would be able to handle any of this or all of this. Uh, and just on that, if we do think we might have an issue or more more so if we see a friend or a peer running someone around us that we're sort of like observing these things what's the best way to approach them and I know this is maybe like not exactly your wheelhouse like how do we approach this person and encourage them to seek help because that's something that I I do see as a bit of an issue and um I recently read Renee McGregor's book on orthorexia and I think just a lot of people wouldn't even know that any of that world even exists and so for someone who is experiencing disordered eating or anything in that wheelhouse they might be in denial right so how can we approach them without scaring them off or coming across as judgmental or you know any of those things like when we really want to help someone and, and we just want to flag it what do you recommend and what do you think is the best approach it's so tricky, right? And the, mm. it's something that, you know, I have a lot of people be like, I'm so concerned about this person, but the thought of even broaching that conversation is just so anxiety inducing. First and foremost, the Butterfly Foundation has a online chat service. So if you're really, really struggling, absolutely utilize that. I think it's amazing. In terms of tips around conversations, steer clear of um, kind of pointing the language towards them. So like you're doing this, you're doing that, you're not doing that, so on and so forth. And turn it back in towards, I guess, how you're sort of feeling like I'm really concerned about yada, 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 just so as to not point the blame or make them feel bad about what they're doing because the chances are they're aware of what they're doing. They're just not ready to yet to sort of confess it or admit it to somebody, right? Yeah, no, I mean, I think that makes <laughs> a lot of sense, right? And I think that 
is is probably sort of advice that we could take into lots of areas of our life you know when you're trying to bring something up of concern with another human you know not pointing fingers and and blaming because when when we blame people people tend to get defensive are there any sort of like trigger words that we should be avoiding or certain certain language that you would say to steer clear of like whether it's like oh you've lost a lot of weight like is that something that we should just not mention um yeah thoughts around that yeah I think if someone is really struggling with their relationship with the food bringing up things like you know their changes in appearance or their weight loss or even using the word like eating disorder straight off the bat can be quite confronting and really it could really make that person quite defensive so I think using gentler language around like um you've become you become you've been oh gosh so even using like gentle language like you know you've become quite withdrawn from social situations you don't seem as bright as in yourself as perhaps what you used to be um, I've noticed you're really not eating around us anymore or you're sort of avoiding, you know, different situations surrounding food. Is everything okay? So I guess, yeah, steering clear of that, like, I think you have an eating disorder, just being like, okay, is everything okay? I'm here to support you. I hope you trust me, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, that's really lovely. And I think um, that sort of language, like even just hearing you saying that, you know, it sounds warm and friendly and open. And I think um hopefully anyone receiving that would would feel a similar way and obviously these aren't easy conversations to have but I guess everything we've spoken about it's so important to seek help and from my clinical perspective things like reds you know um which I mean that's just a whole other topic in itself but you know that that that's our bones and our bone health is so important you know not just now not just for performance but as we age and like this is our health so gosh, like it's so important to actually get professional advice and help because, you know, if we don't have our health, what do we have? So thank you so much, so much, Maddie. Um, Yeah, I think Soph and I will take a lot of value from this episode and so will our listeners. So thank you for sharing your knowledge. Thanks so much for having me on, guys. I feel like we could have talked for hours and hours and hours about this stuff. (laughs) Yeah, it's so nice to hear your passion and and how much you understand and know about it. I think it's really cool to to learn from you. And as Lydia said, hopefully people take a lot away from you. Um, And if they would like to follow along as well, they can reach your Instagram um, at Maddie Parsons Nutrition. We'll have that linked below. Um, And if they want to book in with you or or have a consult, how is the best way to go about that? Yeah, so I've got my Instagram profile, obviously, and I've got my website as well, um, www.maddieparsonsnutrition.com. Very original. Simple, um, nice. Yes, very simple. So I have online booking there. And obviously, if someone's not quite sure what they would get out of a session together and want to ask a few questions, I also do free 15-minute discovery calls as well. Perfect. And you've got an ebook as well, Maddie, is that right? I do have an ebook and a few courses and programs coming out later this year. Oh, <laughs> exciting. That's awesome. Well, um, we'll definitely be sure to share them um, when they come out on Instagram. So, oh, thanks, great. guys. Thank you so much again. I've had such a good time chatting to you and you're a wealth of knowledge in all things running. <laughs> Thank you so much. We really appreciate your time. We will speak to you soon. Bye.